welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. So my guest this week is the beautiful Tara Wilcox, who is joining me from her Colchester home, right? I am. Now, before she was an international pop star touring the world with her brilliant band, The Wandering Hearts, she was a fellow voice teacher working here in Colchester. And we've met many years ago. I think you were finishing your phase two as I was beginning mine. And we, we, we know each other through the Estill community. But so Tara's a teacher who also... Um, is now a professional voice user singer out there doing it, living the lifestyle. And the last couple of years have been an explosion of success and fortitude and everything that you've been um, working on with your band. So why don't you start by telling us a bit about that? What's your journey been like since, what was it, 2017 that this all kicked off? Yeah, so um, I I had a bit of a, a pivotal shift. I came out of a long relationship in 2014, and found it took a year to kind of find what I was doing. I was teaching a lot. I was teaching at Mountview. I was teaching at Erdang. Was doing lots and lots of teaching, and um, really wanted to sing again. And um, hadn't hadn't sung because being on the road is quite a demand on relationships, and it it's tough. And I thought, no, this is this is time for me. But at the time, I was twenty eight. Um, which historically is is old for 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 anything in the pop field. Yeah, um, it's traditionally considered quite old. So I definitely wasn't going. Do you know what? I'm going to be a pop star. <laughs> yeah, like I had no idea. And um, a friend of mine had said, "I think I want to put together a band." This um, country music, this UK country thing, was was booming. The Shires had come along and done some music, and Ward Thomas and said oh you know do you fancy doing some some singing in that vein my dad's from the states I grew up he's from um, upstate New York grew up listening to lots of country music and I said oh we'll give it a go and we started writing some original music and then um AJ and uh my uh, Chess um joined the band and it was an absolute whirlwind so we met at flat in Crouch End and we were just running through the second rehearsal we'd ever had. We recorded this original song and the best medium for us to listen back and do some fine tuning was to put it on SoundCloud. So we put it on SoundCloud so we could just listen back. And about 22 minutes after we put it on SoundCloud, our now manager, Steve, was looking at SoundCloud for the first time ever. <gasps> He'd never used SoundCloud before because he also represented a brilliant, he does represent a brilliant songwriter called Robin, Robin Howe, and he wanted to find some artists that he could work with. So he contacted us and he said, hey, I'm Steve. Um, I used to be one of the top guys at Sony and now um, I've got this management company. I'd love to meet you. And so we all understandably were like con absolute con (laughs) absolute con not gonna no not gonna do it so sent one of the boys to go and meet him and um he was real 
he wasn't creepy. Um, <laughs> and um, he was brilliant and took us kind of under his wing. And then quite quickly, we were introduced to our now record label, Decca, part of the Universal Music Group. Yeah, and we went in um, to meet the head of the label, a wonderful woman called Becky Allen. She's just incredible. And she said, we sang a few songs to her and she just said, oh, absolutely love it. She had to leave for another meeting, but turned to the A&R people, the artist and relation people in the meeting and said, can you just sign them? Just, um, you just sign them and um, I'll come back. And so again, you, this is a, a fickle industry. So we didn't for one second think that they would sign us mm. um but they did and they would say you know how many gigs have you guys played and at the time um tim was in kinky boots in the west end chess um i think she'd been in legally blonde but she'd done some work in st lucia um aj was in this mad brilliant band that were touring all around the world he was hitting all these different continents and i was still teaching um, pretending that I was this really cool, you know, girl that just did open mic nights and had no money. And um, I mean, some of that was true. And, um, we, yeah, we, so we, we signed this, uh, this record deal and it has been a mad, so that was in 2000 and maybe 2016, I think we signed. Yeah. Um, and it's been a mad, a mad four years. Amazing four years. And you've just been to all the sort of iconic places. I mean, to sing on the stage at the, what's it, the Grand Opry in Nashville? Oh, Tara, I'm so like, wow. <laughs> what, what, what? Come on, you've got to give me that. So there's part of the little girl in you at that moment of walking out. What was that like? That must have been amazing. It was that 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 whole trip was crazy. Um, I'll just try and briefly summarize it. But there's an amazing man. Um, if anyone is listening and wants to Google someone brilliant, his name is Marty Stewart. His wife is the country music legend Connie Smith. Between them, they have so many Grammys, so oh. many Grammys. And he was over in the UK, and we were asked to support him on five gigs. He used to play in Johnny Cash's band. He wow. is just just brilliant and um we were playing at the sage gateshead and he's this amazing just character with this presence and um, he came and watched our sound check and then after we performed after the gig that day he came into our dressing room and he said hey kids and we were like oh kids it's exciting <laughs> um he said hey you know i really like what you do and uh i really want to be the guy i'll stop doing the accent now. i really <laughs> want to be the guy that takes you guys to America. I think you should come out to the States with me. And so we were like, oh, that's so cool. Like, yeah. we've, not, we've not, we've not done a gig outside the UK. Um, so that, that's pretty cool. And he said, have you heard of, um, have you heard of the, uh, the Ryman Auditorium? And so the Ryman Auditorium is the best place I've ever performed. It is wow. this hallowed building. It's where the Grand Old Opry originally started at the Ryman. Okay. Everybody has played the Ryman Auditorium. It's just this gorgeous church. It's it's stunning. And so he said, oh, I've, I've got it. And um, I do this thing called the Late Night Jam. Chris Stapleton's playing. John Prine's playing. The Birds are playing. Margot Price, all these amazing people. We'd, I'd love it if you could come out and play. Um, so we were like, mm, okay, Chris Stapleton, John Prine, like, you know, our heroes. Mm. He said, oh, you know, hey, when you're out, do you want to... Do you want to play the Grand Old Opry? <laughs> We're like, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. He said, hey, uh, 
well, you know, uh, what about uh, what about Graceland? Do you want to come and play uh, play Graceland? And so we were like, yeah, like, yeah, if any of this actually happens, that would be mad. Um, and then just a few months later, we were we were landing in um, we were landing in Nashville. Twenty four hours later, we were at the Ryman Auditorium, um, and we sang the second song we did was called Burning Bridges, and he he'd introduced us as this brilliant vocal harmony group and really talked us up, and we were like, oh god, no pressure. <laughs> um, and we sang we sang this song, and it was just you know when you just. I'm sure lots of people relate to this when they're performing, but you're singing and everything kind of goes fuzzy. You know, you're just, you're so, you're so in it. And I think I kind of feel like I woke up towards the end of the song. And I was like, we're really here in this sold out, yeah. you know, amazing auditorium. And then just as we finished somebody, there was like pin drop silence oh and somebody just went, wow. <gasps> Everybody stood up. We had this mad standing ovation. Oh my um, gosh! What a moment! So yeah, and the Grand Ole Opry's. They, they, when you play the Grand Ole Opry, they, they put you in this like Grand Ole Opry. Only one person makes their debut a night, so you're put in the Grand Ole Opry debut room. <laughs> you write a plaque that gets put into the building oh, that wow. forever has your your name and the date. And it's you know you know as much as we're not. I wouldn't say we're a typically country band. We have been so welcomed and yeah. looked after in that community. It's it's really special. So yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk that <laughs> through because I actually you don't you know sometimes I think I dreamt it. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I mean, it's it, it really is. It's just um, I think it's also really inspiring that you didn't stop yourself at twenty eight. That even though there was a sense of, oh, I'm old in the industry now because you, you expect these things to happen to 18-year-old girls, you stand testament that it's never too late. You absolutely follow your dream and, and you can get there at any age, really. I mean, it does happen at any age as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it really of, you know, does. It's just, I think, it's just about, I guess we were really lucky to... Um, you know, we didn't set out to to make a type of music that was wasn't tactical in yeah. that respect. But if I'd have decided I wanted to be a Zara Larson type, uh, you know, that would have been a lot harder. Mm. I think you know, with Americana, it's much more forgiving um, with you know with age. And I think with age, you have experience Absolutely. and you do have you know I think in the storytelling not that we don't have incredibly gifted songwriters of, of all ages oh, yeah. but um I don't know whether I would have I'm so grateful it happened to me at the age that it did you know the demands that have been put on me the experiences the some of the things that I've been exposed to mm. and have been able to know how to handle is something that I think as a as an 18 year old 19 year old would have been a lot harder so for me I you know I'm so grateful that it that it did happen as it happened yes absolutely true yeah I know absolutely I mean you take obviously all of your previous experience with you wherever we go and and the, one of the driving factors of my whole thing about the vocal freedom podcast is that our voice is one of the constants throughout our lives we're born with it it, it travels the whole journey with us you know people relationships come and go homes come and go jobs come and go but our, um, our voices stay with us. So I'm going to get a little philosophical with my next question and ask you, what, your, what does your voice mean to you? I think, 
I think the relationship that I've had with my voice may be similar to lots of people's, but it has been a complicated journey. Um, you know, the first thing you learn to do, you know, when as a baby is you learn to communicate and, and I was always encouraged to make sound. I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful to my parents. I don't have children, but if I, if and when I have them, I will encourage them to make sound and be proud. And, you know, cause there's so much emotion tied up into the voice. When we're sad, you can hear it in the voice, you know, with all of these, these different things. So, um, but I remember hearing myself and I'm sure you relate to this, Lee, but I remember hearing myself back for the first time um, recorded and being like, oh my God, no, it's awful. It's so, it's horrible, it's awful. And of course it it wasn't awful and horrible, but it wasn't how I wasn't how I thought I sounded. And so now when I hear myself back, people say, Oh, do you know, do you like your voice now when you hear it back? And I can honestly say, you know, no, I don't, I don't listen back and go, do you know what? That's a great voice. I don't. But I'm there, I can listen far more objectively now and go, that's what Tara sounds like when she sings. Yeah. And and it's not that's how I, that still isn't how I hear my voice in my head. Yeah. But I'm aware of what she sounds like and <laughs> I can be and that helps me be a little bit more discerning. So if a producer is saying to me, you know, I have quite a lot of tone in my voice, so quite a lot of contact. Um and so that makes it quite, it's got quite a lot of brightness, quite a lot of core, and that makes it not so easy with backing singing because you, you want something that will blend a little easier. And so instead of going, my name's Tara and this is how I sing, I'm able to listen and go, okay, what does this require of me? And this is what she needs to, there's less, this is what she needs to do. So there's less ego involved. Yeah. Um, so I, I love it. And I also, I think with that in mind, I love that philosophical question because I, I also, I think part of why singing in front of people is so vulnerable is because nobody sounds like you. Mm. Nobody in the entire world sounds like you. So you singing in front of somebody for the first time, to me, is akin to standing naked in front of somebody for the first time. Nobody looks like you. Mm. So it is so revealing. And if you are to go and do this and somebody laughs, like if someone was going to laugh at you if you weren't wearing clothes, the damage that would do and the scarring of that, or if someone said to you, you know, you must cover up in the same way if you must not make noise. Mm. So we, we have to encourage people um, to make noise, to play. Um, and that's something... I was so fearful of making mistakes when I was younger. I was so fearful of being bad or singing something wrong. And I have it with, if I do any teaching now, people, you know, they don't want to do something. And I go, please get it wrong. Yeah. If you get it wrong, I can try and help. Absolutely. But if you keep being scared to do it, you leave me with nothing other than, come on. Yeah. <laughs> something you said there really resonated. And it was with <laughs> students who are, in a position where you just want them to explore so they can find the right shape or the space and and they're nervous of doing it because they don't want to make an ugly sound or they don't want to quack or break or whatever it is so you're right I mean that is that is challenging but the more we're free about it and the more we're open about the fact that these are not you know the mechanics of voice is not quite like the internal of a piano with strings it's not puppetry it's it's it's, yeah. it's tied up with how we are how we feel how we how we are being 
I totally agree. And I think it's it's really interesting. It's why, um, not that we'll talk too much about um, the Estor model, but yeah. I do love, you know, not talking about things. I love that we talk about it being free of aesthetic judgment mm. because I'm so aware now. I'm, I do a little bit of work with some of the pop singers at Warner Music and I get them to do even something that to me seems so obvious and pedestrian, like a siren mm. or a little nya for some brightness. And they look at me like, you are bonkers. What <laughs> is? And I go, oh my God, I forget this isn't normal for other people. Yes. <laughs> um, and so really um, just being able to play with sounds. And I have zero um ego I, I'd like to say I have zero ego with my voice now if someone and I, I you know I feel like I don't have a lot of ego with it that if someone says someone says I don't like it, it's horrible I don't think that's very useful um but fortunately that hasn't happened a lot um but if someone said oh you know I, I, I could you do something different or if I try it and my voice cracks or does something else that's great because I know that what I was doing wasn't right and I mm. think I know we, you you'll know this analogy but if we think about it like with ice skating so when you see people do those amazing double pirouettes, triple pirouettes on the ice, how many times do we think they fell over mm. before they got that? Because and what happens is that they'll jump and they'll fall. And it's not like, and if we liken that to singing, we hit a bum note, that's a bit embarrassing. You're not, you're not physically hurting. Mm. How sore must your legs, body, bottom be every time you go and jump on the ice and then you fall? And then you have to get all of that bravery up to do it again. Mm. Um, have you read that book, Bounce, by Matthew Syed? Yes, absolutely. I've got it on my shelf right there and I've lent it out to many clients as well as some, I mean, I've got some of his new stuff now for kids, which is brilliant. So, so good. Yeah, um, absolutely. A friend, a friend of mine's a head teacher and um, she had him come in and um, talk to the school. Oh, amazing. And um, I was able to go in and, and watch him talk. But I love, you know, that the idea of the, the myth of talent and mm. the power of practice. And me and you touched upon it when we were talking just before we started. But we live in a culture that loves to celebrate overnight success. Mm. We In every single capacity, if it's weight loss we don't want to hear somebody's you know got really fit has got strong his we want to believe that they did it in a week <laughs> or they did it in two weeks you know it was yeah. overnight and it was I, I still ate chocolate I still ate wine but god I'm now five stone lighter and it's we don't want to hear that they had to walk a lot and exercise and because well if that's possible then that means that it might be possible for me and if I haven't done that, that's obviously some fault in me. So I'd rather just believe that it isn't possible for me. Mm. And it's the same. And we live in a, in, a, in a world that really likes to perpetuate that fantasy. So when Leona Lewis did The X Factor, she was touted as a very quiet receptionist. Yeah. Who had, you know, she hadn't sung. She was, you know, but this was going to be her time where she was going to sing. And of course... She'd been to Brit school. Mm -hmm. She'd been in The Lion King. But that isn't interesting. Because if that girl sung for six hours a day and done really and woke up early and worked really hard, then that means she really worked to get to that. And it means it's not possible. So what you end up doing is going, well, it's not, I can't do that. That's not, you know, I could never do that. And what you mean is, you know, maybe you could never put the amount of hours in or, or something. Yeah. But 
the voice is is a muscle and so you I sincerely believe that you can do anything you want with your voice yeah not that it's as simple as I want it to let it happen mm. but it's it makes it tough when there are people that appear they go I've always been able to do it it's just really easy and it, maybe there is you know some natural some some natural things that go on but certainly you know you didn't get to the level of expertise that you're at Lee with your knowledge by going to bed one night and waking up the next morning and it was just in your head no absolutely there's a lot of there's a lot to learn with with voice science and I think what's really interesting what I'd love to get across to people now is we have to we have to eradicate in all youngsters in my opinion um, and everybody, this need for perfection. Yeah. This quest, because it's that quest for perfection that is blocking people from exploring. Mm-hmm. Because that's really what you're talking about. And so, and what I, you know, what I try and say to to people I'm working with is, if you come in and you do a, a great, a perfect job, and you don't take risks necessarily because you know you take you pick the song that you know is safe that you know is comfortable that you know you can do um and I go oh well done that's great my opinion is your mum could do that for you your dad could do that for you someone could say and you could save yourself the time and the money yeah it's much better to go okay um why don't you present a problem bring a problem bring something where you can learn from it so and it's just it's so tied up in this need to be good to be right to be to be perfect and um and and I think you're right it's really so interesting with the psychology stuff of that and that isn't that's a really easy thing to just say but it's something I I work on I'm not a natural um not a natural mover so I went to drama school when I was 19 and um, I remember the first time I was asked to do a step ball change, I genuinely remember looking around for a ball and a step. Oh. Um, I had no, first position, I thought was the first position we'd done that day. I <laughs> had no idea what was, what was going on. And so, you know, suddenly we're doing music videos and suddenly, you know, we'll have a, a camera person follow us and I'll say, can you just walk from the door to the to the studio you'd think that was really simple I do it all the time but suddenly I'm thinking about walking and I'm walking not in opposition but I'm walking like like this and I'm going, why am I why am I doing this or I'm playing the tambourine and I'm you know naturally hypermobile and it all looks a bit chaotic and I have to have this little chat with myself where I go just just don't apologize like I'm like just breathe and have fun with this yeah and realize that you're cute and that we did a gig on Sunday just a live like an online gig and um I had to play this blasted tambourine and this new song that we'd recorded and Chess normally plays it but she was doing the mandolin and um and I just remember going like no one else can do this you're the only person that has a spare hand (laughs) it's just banging a tambourine no one's even listening no one even cares (laughs) like you can do this and making sure that I didn't apologize for myself and Mm. that is a continued I'm 34 now and that is a continued battle that I have just a little be kind yeah be kind and um I I'd love I try and try and make environments as safe as I can 
for students I, I work with. So yeah. I'll, I'll make some really awful sounds, some loud plane changes, so that you know that that's that's you know that's the worst it's going to be. But of course, that that sound though the sounds that everyone's so scared of, they're not mm. bad sounds to me. They're not bad sounds to you. No. We're not like oh please don't make. That's great because you go oh god this is what's going on and yeah you know why don't we play with that so that's that all of my family is psychologists my dad is a forensic psychologist psychologist my dad and I are writing a book at the minute um slow on the upkeep but it is happening um on nerves and anxiety with voice because that's something that I spend a lot of time working with people on and with my dad doing a lot of CBT some cognitive behavioral work um it's really interesting and I think for a different time in a different podcast I think you would be really interesting to explore your thoughts um a little bit more on the psychology and that mm. that interplay between understanding what's happening technically but that if you just understand the technical side of it you've where's the artistry exactly. where's the application yeah absolutely yeah I mean I'm very much um you know obviously working with a lot of musical theatre kids you've got to do a lot more sort of building a character work and finding the um, the story that the character's telling and what the emotions they're going through and then applying that. So I think there's, it just depends how you work with people and how you coach. But I, I had a theatrical upbringing as well. So that I always come from the side of uh, actor-singer, I think, rather than singer-actor. Um, even if it's a pop song, it, it's still, do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be from a musical for you to have considered what story that song is telling. I also can't tell you how long we spend writing lyrics. Mm. I spend, um, Anne-Marie Speed asked me to go and sit in on a, we'll go and talk on a day of commercial singing with her. And, um, you know, there's this real misinformation that pop singing is easy and <laughs> pop singing doesn't, people don't care about the lyrics, that, you know, the words don't matter. You don't spend hours and hours, days and days rewriting. If you listen to Taylor Swift's new album, Folklore, the writing in that is exquisite. It's so fantastic. Um, people, you know, you write songs to, to be heard, to encourage people to, to relate. To You know, we all have those songs that we listen to. Well, that's the breakup song. Well, that's the song I can't listen to because it reminds me of this. Or this is my wedding song. Or how long do you spend picking your wedding song? Mm. Lyrics are important and they're very rarely opera or musical theatre yes. and I know I'm a massive musical theatre fan and it was my it was my training so but I think that's so fantastic that, e that you say you know even in a pop song it's not that we go I heard yeah. that you you know it <laughs> yes. doesn't become you know no it doesn't, yeah it doesn't need to be sort of theatrically no. performed no 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 but also you know just coming from a place of whatever you're singing you're communicating with a sense of truth because that's the bit that people connect with. If you're BSing yourself or the audience, they'll know. Sure, you, so true. You, you, you've got to be present. And that's not always easy. I think that's, that's really difficult if you're singing the same sets. So, I mean, do, how, how does that work with your band, with your travelling and stuff? Are you, are you ever finding that there are any issues with that staying present in the moment? Or does it feel a bit like you're on a treadmill sometimes? I don't know what that's like. Um, good question. I think we, so we did that live stream gig or at the weekend and we did a couple new songs and there is something joyous about new songs because there's that little risk that they might go wrong. Yeah. Um, and I remember vividly, you know, auditioning for songs and I had, I had this song that I'd done a hundred times. It was really good, but it, I was bored of it. 
um, which I now just think is so arrogant. I'd, I'd go, oh, I'm just really bored of it. And now I want to do this new song. I kind of know it. I kind of like it. Um, I think it's going to be great. And of course, soon as you've got 12 people staring at you, um, one of my earliest memories of professional auditions, I auditioned for Footloose. I was 18. I was still at drama, 19. I was still at drama school. And they had asked me to prepare a song. I only had musical theatre stuff in my rep, so stupid, which is ridiculous. Um, so I took Astonishing from Little Women, the worst song to audition to Footloose with. But they'd sent me a couple new songs and I was like, yeah, I know them. And I knew them when I had no pressure and I was in my bedroom and it was absolutely fine. And I got in there and of course, I just, you know, a couple lines in, couldn't remember what it was. They all started joining in with me. Wow. Um, it, and afterwards they were like, oh, lovely. And I remember going, I'm so glad I get to go back to drama school and I don't have to go back to my waitressing job because I screwed that up so badly. And I made myself a promise that even if I was so bored of the song, it doesn't mean they're bored of it. And it's my job to make it fresh. Yeah. Because me being bored of it means I know it. And I know it really well. It means I can maximise light and shade. I can maximise character work. And that's mm. enough in a high pressure environment. So when it comes to, to us now as a band, something like Devil, Wish I Could, Burning Bridges, I realistically have sung all of them about a thousand times, a minimum about yeah. a thousand times. But I feel really lucky to, to be doing what we do. So I just take myself back to how I felt when we wrote it. And it, I consciously dig deep and graft mm. in every single song every time. It's never, for me, it's never autopilot. Right. It's always, it, it, it's all, and it, and it isn't something that's easy, mm. you know, the, Sometimes and I and I'm like, am I am I losing this? Am I not? So, you know. Um, but then I guess I'm lucky in that I'm in a band with two other singers. Yeah. So you know, I get to look at Chess and she'll smile at me, or I look at AJ and, you know, you can have all these little moments in between you, and that so helps to mm. keep it. To yeah, keep it to keep you all together. That's amazing. I mean, that's yeah, that's one of the wonderful things is that you're all singing as well. You all you know, and you've, you've obviously really fine-tuned all your harmonies and your voweling and everything. It's, it's all magnificently done. Thank you. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you'd learn sooner on this, on this journey? Yes. Um, I remember a couple things. I remember really wanting to know what my voice was. And I, I hear it a lot with students as well. They go, oh, you know, I just want to know what I what I sound like. What, you know, what, what should I sing? What is it that I should do? Um, and that's something I really struggled with because I, I really, I wasn't sure if I should be a musical theatre singer or I'd done a lot of classical singing when I was younger. Um, so what did I go to opera school? Um, jazz, maybe I'll do some jazz. I was a big Ella Fitzgerald fan. Um, or folk, maybe I'll do some folk stuff because I really like Kate Rusby and I really like Cara Dillon and I'll do some folk or maybe I'll do some rock. And um, and I, I wish I'd known that I didn't have to choose that. Yeah. And that, that that didn't make me a less good singer because I didn't have that. What I envied people that were like, I'm a jazz singer. Mm. And that's that's, and I, I remember thinking, I just want someone to tell me, tell me the thing that I am supposed to sing, and then I will just do it. 
Um, and actually, I, I didn't need to do that. And the fact that I was so excited to sing all of these different genres has meant that our songwriting as a band, you can't put your finger on it because you're going, mm. it's a bit folk, it's a bit jazz, it's a bit, it's a bit this. And it has given me carte blanche to play. Yes, that's to, amazing. To, to absolutely play. And I remember thinking I'd listen to Celine Dion and I'd listen to Bonnie Raitt and I'd listen to Cara Dillon and these really different sounding voices. And I'd play with some of the sounds they made and I'd go, am I pretending? Is this me pretending to be these artists? And actually, I could try really, really hard to sound like Celine Dion. I'm never going to sound like Celine Dion um, because she's made differently to me, but certainly no one's ever going to go, or, you know, oh God, you know what? She sounds just far too much like Whitney. It's like, who, <laughs> that's not a bad thing. Yes. Um, so we can, as, you know, as long as it's choices, mm. as long as you can pick and choose what you're doing. So I, 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 I wish that I had, had learned to let go of this sense of, what my voice was going to be and, and the pressure. Mm. And actually I, I wish I'd just allowed myself to, to play. And I think understanding voice, I, again, like you, I, I got into understanding technical voice because not because I couldn't do it, but mm. because I couldn't teach it. Mm. Mm. But I do think, you know, I think as women, certainly I, you know, I went to a good grammar school in Birmingham and, um, you know, you're definitely, and I so just wanted to to please and to be good and to mm. be right. And I, I totally am with you now. I, you know, I just wanted to be liked. I really wanted people to go, oh, Tara's lovely. Tara, you know, she's, she's great. And I was exhausting myself doing all this stuff for people. And I was like, do you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm all right. Like, yeah. I'm annoying, but I'm all right. <laughs> so I can live with that, you know, and there's, so I, I yeah, I, I'm 35 in December and um, I just, I'm, I'm down for just owning yeah, who you who are. You and are. also owning the things that might need fixing. I need to learn to talk less. Of all the voices on the planet right now, whose voice are you listening to? Who do you, who can you not get enough of? Um, for me, it, my absolute, the she talks to my soul is Ella Fitzgerald. Mm. She is, she's just every, I remember like if I'm going through anything, I put her on and it's like the, the USP, the, the je ne sais quoi, that, that kind of core of her voice is like honey to me. Mm. And the lightness that she has there's that brilliant recording so if you haven't if anyone's listening hasn't listened to Ella Fitzgerald just as an introductory album um just an essential Ella which is just a compilation of stuff yeah. it's just great but there's a track on there where she is in Berlin and she's singing Mac the Knife and she starts and she said you know we're going to do something for you um you know you won't have heard a woman sing it but we uh we hope you like it. We hope we remember all the words. And she goes into it and you have this, you know, rapturous applause and she's fantastic. And then all of a sudden you hear her go like, oh, Sunday, Sunday morning. <laughs> and she absolutely, but 
she does it with such a plomb, such mm. lightness. And then she said, you know, she goes into this bit, said, oh, what's the next chorus to this song now? It's the one now, I don't know. <laughs> but it was a swinging tune and it was a hit tune and we tried to do Mac the Nine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she does all these scats and it's the fun yeah. that's so present in, in what she's doing and the lightness and the depth it is a voice that is so inconsistent in the best possible way I yes. don't get bored of it yeah I just you know it, there's so many singers I adore but after you know just on tone wise not not lyrically after a while you've, you've heard what, what their voice is going to give you emotionally mm. and for her every song takes me on a different journey and yeah, she she's just my absolute favorite. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I'm so with you on that. And I have that album as well. And I I often um in the morning just play the opening bars to Blue Skies because she does this beautiful riff and it just moves everything up and down. And it and you're right, it's I think for for me when I hear Ella, it's her flexibility is seamless, even when she's really dipping in and out of different qualities. It's like, wow, it's just dreamy. Uh yeah, and the only, when I was younger, when I was, because I think it's harder now, I think, you know, for young people in particular, you you sing what you hear. Mm. And what, when I, I was so lucky growing up that when I was growing up, the singers that I listened to were, because it was who was in the charts then, mm. was Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, Barbara Streisand, and Eva Cassidy. So you're talking about four yeah. incredible powerhouse singers. Now, you've got good, but if you think about that compared to, I mean, Adele's tone is beautiful. But if you think about range-wise, yeah. very different. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the sounds are really similar and people, you know, mimic sounds and you play with sounds. But Eva Cassidy, to me, when I was growing up, was to hear her do something like, Fields of Gold or Songbird, which was mm. about beauty of sound. But then for her to do something like Blue Skies or Blues in the Night. Have you heard Eva Cassidy do Blues in the Night? I don't know. She is so sassy. It comes in and I think it's like a, maybe like a top, uh, maybe like a G, but it's like, my mother And it's this like mad bluesy pat. I mean, you wouldn't think when you hear Eva Cassidy sing Blues in the Night, and again, you're talking about those transitions moving mm. through things. And I love the fact that she could be this beautiful time after time, you know, but could sing her, but could do Wayfaring Stranger, could do Blues in the Night, could do these other things and, and play with their voice. Um, yeah. She would be the other one, I think. I think they would all, in my mind, they all kind of constitute the old torch singer, don't they? they mm. that, that image of... Um, a woman standing alone with the microphone in a spotlight on a stage with a beautiful pianist spilling her guts about, you know, whatever that trauma or um, experience is. Heartbreak, lots of songs of heartbreak. Amazing, torch songs. Um, but I think you're right. In the, Ava Cassidy, for me, brings some, brang, some, brang something else. Is that even brang. a word? She brang <laughs> it. She brang it. Uh, she she brought, something, brought something else to the table. Mm. Um, in... You almost feel, I feel like you can hang on every word because she means every word. It's, but then if someone was influenced by and takes on Ava Cassidy, but that bit's missing, 
you can con- you can t- tell straight away. It's uh, you know. So I think great influences are brilliant, um, but they can be dangerous. And these times, you're right, are so strange. How many students have you worked with that are in love with Billie Eilish and her style of singing? That's really very very quiet and close to the microphone. Um, how do you feel about that? I I mean, for me, it's about choices. I find it really when I was younger. I, you know, I I learned from that little purple songbook that you're given for your, like your associated board grade one. So it was like, my father has a garden with many lilac trees. I remember I would have sung Aaron <laughs> Copeland. Like I just loved singing. I would have sung anything that my singing teacher told me. And now I get people, I go, right, I know you want to sing Billie Eilish and that's great. We can do Ocean Eyes. That's fantastic. But I also would like us to do something with a little bit more line, with a little bit more, it's like, no, I don't really want to do that. I'm mm. like, why was I just this kid that would just <laughs> sing things? I, I, you know, I love it. I think Billie Eilish is an amazing artist. She really is. Um, but it's the musically, for me, it's very singularly faceted. Mm. It's it's a I think lyrically it's fantastic production wise it's fantastic and I think her voice is gorgeous but it just does one thing for me yeah and the problem is is there was um I mean I really like Gabrielle Applin I think Gabrielle Applin's fantastic um we've worked with her a little bit um but there was when her song Home came out um years ago I had all these kids that would come in and it was they'd all sing with this really breathy um I'm a phoenix in the water, a fish that's learned to fly. And they all do this like weird, breathy, middle constrictor mm. thing, but they all would swear it was their natural voice. And yeah. this is what they what they did. But it was because that was all you were hearing was songs over one octave yeah. that was there. So my, my issue with Billie Eilish is more, I don't mind Billie Eilish, but I just like sing Billie Eilish and then go and sing an old American songbook song. Yeah. And, you know, let's just, you have to, it's about choices. I think that that's just so important because in whatever capacity you're in, if you're in the studio, someone will say, can you give me, can you give me more breath? Mm. Can you give me straight tone? Can you give me less breath? It's the same in opera. It's the same in musical theatre. We have to be able to deliver what someone's asking us, and they might not have the words, they might not be able to say, well, can you give me some more tilt? It doesn't matter. We need to be able to listen to what they're saying and go, okay, so this is this is what you need from me. And if you only sing Billie Eilish like Billie Eilish, that's great, but that's all you can do. Mm, absolutely. And it's already a Billie Eilish. Yeah. So you're not going to so do... you're not going to be original anyway. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I liken it a bit to, like, if you go to um, a tennis coach for some tennis lessons and you only work on your... Um, serve then you know you're not going to be an amazing tennis player so I think I think with different styles I very much encourage um, all my kids to to work on different things so that they are building different habits yeah there was something I um something I read the other day about um, most elite sports people so elite tennis players are also almost equally good or elite level at another sport Mm. So your great tennis players are usually pretty good golfers or pretty good squash players or pretty good badminton players. Yeah. And, you know, in my experience, people that are in, I've got lots of friends that have been in Les Mis, but they'll make sure that they sing Rock of Ages or Carousel. Yes. And the people that are in Carousel make sure that they sing Rock of Ages and so that you don't get too stuck mm. 
in in one position. So that's kind of exactly the same as what you're saying about with the with the tennis player. You yeah. also and for me as a singing teacher, I don't when I've got that hat on, I don't want people to go, oh, she's had lessons with Tara. I, it, you don't want it to look like you've put your special thing on them where they all <laughs> look the same way and do yes. the same thing. It's you know, it's about giving people choices mm. and then they get to play with the artistry of that of how do I want to deliver that and what do I what do I want to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've had a little bit about your your journey so far with your voice and your uh, experience with your band at the moment. So what's next? What's happening with you with um, you know, where we're at with this pandemic, are you are you uh, chilling for a bit more over the summer? Are you going to be doing some more online gigs we can come watch? Um, yes, there will be some more online gigs. And then there, we're going to have a few, um, not been announced yet, but we're going to be doing some outside gigs, I think. Oh, which will be great to have something uh, to do and to kind of look forward to. So, um, but I think this year is going to be pretty quiet on the gig front. But mm. I think... I spent more of last year away from home than at home. I think we spent at least six months in the States. We were away for, for so much of last year. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to be back. So I'm doing some writing. I've got two dogs. Um, so it's actually just, I, I'm really loving, you know, making the most of this, of this time at home. And also it's kind of good. I've been gone back to, um, doing a little teaching I worked with um I worked teaching on one of the courses we would have done years ago the level oh the level one and two yeah 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 and um god it was good to go oh right I need to go back in so I've been I had to kind of rack my my tiny go back over your figures yeah go back over the figures I mean I barely do them now right so it's just yeah and um so I was like oh and then to go and do some like advanced teaching um so it's been great so I've been doing a little bit more teaching um, and uh, I'm going back to do some stuff just with the third years at Mountview just on repertoire stuff more I've just got such a my passion um, my passion is the band it's what I want to do songwriting writing but um, from a, a, a pedagogy from a singing teaching perspective I'm really passionate about really encouraging great commercial singing Mm. I think I, I spend particularly in musical theatre singers it's something that we so need but I just hear so many musical theatre singers singing pop songs like their musical theatre songs yeah and um I, you, really know, you have these amazing sound reels from you know Mount View and you know Arts Ed and, and Erdang and you know it's just like oh, I heard that you and I'm like please so I'm whilst I've got time I'm just trying to work with anybody that will listen to me yeah just <laughs> to let me just do half an hour on your pop song yeah absolutely. um and make the most of that because yeah I won't be doing any fingers crossed if we can clear up COVID um I just I'm gonna enjoy the downtime and then have no time off next year and just play and sing as much as we can because Aww. I miss it this yes is... of course you do I mean you must do I think that I mean I, I'm in a different position because I, I mean I was working um in a function band for 10 years and and gigging oh, no um gigging um most weekends for for a long time but then it became a treadmill for me. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we had we had a rep of like three hundred songs. We had we had a, a big 
um, across all sorts of genres because again a bit like you I didn't want to be boxed into just doing one thing and I also didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing <laughs> so because the fact that I could do all these different things we would throw in a show tune or some jazz or some pop or some Bruno Mars or whatever it was so I did lots of versatile singing and it was great my instrument was healthy it was great but the um, the job got a bit samey I suppose and then we had a, a we had a little bit of a split in the band so you know won't go into that but you know we had a little bit of a split in the band we had somebody leave and somebody else come in and it just it wasn't the same it wasn't the same feeling and it was nothing against the new member I actually really like the new member a lot but I, I basically said to them I'm gonna I think I'm gonna take six months off this was because we were coming to the end of um 2016 I was like I'm gonna take maybe six months off next year and just focus on my teaching and just just see if I miss the stage at all and two months in, because also my husband, Gethin, you'll think you've met Gethin, he does, he does do our photography and our sound for the band as well. And um, well, two months in, I sort of looked at him and I went, are you missing it? Are you missing going out every Friday, Saturday night? Are you, kind of, you know, how are you feeling? And he was like, no, not really. And I was like, neither am I. I'm just, re- I didn't miss it. I really liked that we were home at the weekends. And it, I just, I don't know. I just didn't, I kind of lost the bug for performing. <laughs> I think that's that was interesting when lockdown happened I think because I had taught the whole time you know I hadn't sung for so many years all through my 20s I hadn't sung and um and then at 28 had permission to sing again you know was got out of that toxic environment and I was like okay I'm gonna give myself a chance to to sing I've lost all these years I'm gonna I'm gonna do that and then it all happened so quickly that um I was really scared that when lockdown happened I thought oh am I going to fall back into yeah being at home because I've been away so much Mm. like you know my fiance and I we've never had so much time together I thought god I hope we don't break up (laughs) um you know we never had so much time and um I miss like an aching limb gigging and Mm. that was such a lovely realization because I genuinely didn't know if I would you know, I I didn't sing at all, like no no singing in front of people for pretty much seven years. But I taught so much. I, you know, the the most I was teaching sixty hours a week, wow. which is just mental. Mm-hmm. But my voice was so robust, and now it means touch wood. I haven't lost my voice once. I haven't yeah. cancelled a gig once, and we are burning the candle at both ends. Let's let's put that. Yeah. That being on the road isn't an easy thing and what you just said about burning the candle at both ends is how I imagine it must be when you've got to fly from one place to another and then be ready and sound check and go um have you found any any so you, I mean obviously you've got a robust instrument and thankfully no issues but do you have you seen anything witnessed anything where you know you think people do need to sort of dial it down when they're touring or you just for me it's um so it's the sleep that's so tough we um like we fly, we fly through Chicago a lot and flights are always getting cancelled and so you know once we had to I think drive we finished a gig had to drive to Sioux City it was like three hours away we had two hours sleep straight oh, into a gig straight wow. into it was relentless again I'm so lucky to be in a band with other people because we are and we're all we have an amazing bass player called Lee with us. We are super positive people, like annoyingly positive. And we really, you know, bring each other up. The hard thing is it's so challenging to decompress 
you are on this mad roller coaster of adrenaline and performing and doing something. Um, and so for us, not on a problematic level at all, but having a drink is a really, and it's, you know, it's quite a normal thing to do, but, or, you know, have a glass of wine, but also you're in another, you're in a, we'll be in Mississippi and we don't have to leave till 11 o'clock the next day. So it's, we come off stage at midnight. And so it's so easy to fall into, you know, all sorts of debauchery really um but you um the main thing that I have to clock even when I've even when I've had a drink is my speaking volume yes um because that's that's the thing that really that is so damaging and also just making sure that my levels are set properly that I have enough of me in my monitors it's difficult with a with a band I need to predominantly I have more of the two singers either side of me because if I can't hear them I can't blend we're constantly, you know, one of them's got a cold, one of them's got hay fever, one of them's under the weather. The way they're producing their sound is different. And mm-hmm. so the three of us are almost in the shared headspace where we have to listen. So it takes us longer, I reckon, than lots of people to get our levels right. And that is never something that I will apologize for. Yeah. Because if I don't, and I have to push to be heard, and that's certainly harder with newer artists on the scene if I remember playing I think it was Latitude but one of the early times and you know you're sound checking over a DJ set so there's like a massive and so you're going one one two 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 you haven't got much more than that um but then you just I really had to build the confidence to direct the sound guy with what I needed yeah um because if I don't I feel it afterwards I'm going my, my throat feels scratchy so again checking yourself going okay I do I I need to not drink today I need to steam um I need to have lots and lots of water um for me diet isn't a it isn't a big thing um I don't what I eat doesn't massively affect my voice um but then you know the stuff I'm singing is quite demanding but it's not like I'm singing Defying Gravity you know Mm. eight shows a week but we are doing our long sets um, but steaming is good when you're when we're flying. I make sure I've got a mask. I don't know a lot about those um, nebulizers that people use now. I got one here. Yeah, what do you think of them? Actually, um, this really helps me this time of year because I have hay fever. But if I take my antihistamine, it's too drying. Yeah. So I use this to counteract it. But I, at the moment, I'm not taking my hay fever tablet because it's not that bad this season sometimes it it gets it gets worse if I'm get if I get really bad and I have to take my antihistamine I basically just use this to counteract the drying effect but I would need to use this probably five minutes in every hour you know just to take a break between classes and just take that for five minutes but it's it's I prefer it to steam because there's no heat okay so when when it discharges it's just vapor and it's um I do notice the difference straight away, literally within That's two really two, two minutes of that. I just go, oh yeah, and I just feel, well, you just feel like the engine oil is just looser. It just feels like the dryness has gone and there's more lubrication in the system. I'll have a look into that. Mm. Um, and that's the, other, the only other thing is the one thing that we do make sure we do do when we're on the road is um, we are pretty active. Yeah. Um, so even if you know we'll do yoga or workout. I cannot get my body to work if it's tired. My voice just does not work. Yeah. Um, so I will run on the spot, do like five, even like five, 10 minutes of like a hit 
work out so for me like necking mm. a few pints of water and really working my body um some retraction um a good warm-up and we I've got my warm-up down pat now I can do a pretty good warm-up and know what my voice is like yeah. within a few minutes and there's times where my voice feels so robust I, I don't need to warm up and because I just know yeah how my voice is is doing but I think checking in that kinesthetic perception that awareness of how you're feeling mm. is is key and, and and what you're hearing I think is is important too you know if we're if you're in a loud gig environment and people are shouting you just need to make sure you can hear yourself what's the typical busy day look like for you when you're on a you know a, a a busy schedule day you know like so for somebody's like I really want this lifestyle I really want to do what Tara's done and go and tour the world with my band what would a typical day be like um, so it depends. I'll give you two answers because okay. they're kind of interesting. So when an album's out, um, the day before your album comes out, you are in a studio from the early hours of the morning from, so I'll get up at five, you're in the studio at maybe seven, but it's, and you are, you call into maybe 30 different radio stations up and down the UK and you are interviewed by so-and-so at Radio 2, so-and-so at BBC Essex, so-and-so at BBC Suffolk. And everybody says, oh my God, so you guys, your album's coming out. How does yeah. that feel? And so you do that for nigh on six, seven hours. It's, wow. it's constant. Um, somebody's good and generally brings you some food in that you <laughs> have to pay for, so that's fantastic. That's cool. Um, so you get some food, then you'll go and do a live radio show somewhere ahead of the next day and then you'll probably drive up to a location before that next day you're signing in stores um and so and what's really common just around that is you go and do what they call a radio tour um and radio tours are relentless so you are 9 a.m in bath 11 30 in bristol um 2 p.m in kenilworth 3 p.m. and but you do that and every and you'll meet people you're doing two or three live sessions um you get up you end up in I don't know um somewhere in the Midlands at, by 8 p.m. and then you go okay I'm just gonna I'm gonna eat but that's every day when we did our last we did a, a two-week record a record wow. you know, uh, radio promo sort of tour but it's the same we do record store tours when it comes to to signing um but whenever they go oh you've got your radio tour or i see anyone uh the ward thomas girls did their radio tour maybe a year ago i remember just going guys how are you doing because it is yeah. it's crazy and, and sometimes you're driving you know fortunately we've been lucky in that normally someone's driving but often bands will drive themselves particularly in the early days because there's mm. no there's no real money in in record sales anymore yeah um, the money is in touring and the money is in merchandising. Mm. And it's why this is so tough for people. Because if you can't gig and you can't sell stuff, yeah. records, unless you're, you know, Ed Sheeran and, and um, you know, Dua Lipa, there's, there's not really, there's not money in that. So you are doing it as, as and particularly the label support you in the early days with tour support. But once that's gone where we're at now and we're in profit, um it's 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 hard it's hard graft and it's it's long and you say yes to to everything but we've also done stuff where um what we did a tour with Justin Towns Earl which was really cool we started in New York City and we ended up in Austin Texas 
Um, but the drive between each place from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, we played the House of Blues in New Orleans. We did like North Carolina, all these amazing places. But every drive was a six hour drive between each each place. <laughs> Are you in one of those big things with a bed in it? No, I oh. wish we were. Oh. No, because we're so not a tour bus level. Oh. In the UK we have one, but we were like, no, because the label was saying, you know, do you want to do it? They're like, you have to take it yourself. So we were like, oh my God, no parents. Oh. No, everywhere you go, you have a sound guy and a tour manager. It was just the four of us. So me, wow. Chess, uh, AJ and our bass player friend, Lee. And um, so it was just a normal car oh, gosh. With full of guitars and our suitcases for three weeks. And so you you drive, but also when you're, we were one of the first people to, we'd have to be at the venue for three for our sound check. And then we would be on at, you know, 9 p.m. Because um, the gigs start, you know, so late. But then, you you know, you'd end up leaving and do some of the drive. But that was every day. But because we were also trying to do stuff, we were taking festivals at the same point. So Gosh. the best day was we flew to Hot Springs, and um we landed we played a gig that day we yeah played a gig the night before played a festival that morning played hot springs that evening drove to the airport we got to the airport at 2 a.m our flight was at 5 a.m so we there was no point in getting a hotel so we all made a bed on the floor of this airport oh wow um erected some sort of makeshift tent (laughs) with our coats slept with our arms around our bags um (laughs) But in the next breath, yeah. you know, we'll be playing Hyde Park and yeah. opening for Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks and Amazing. there'll be five-star hotels and Ray-Bans and <laughs> beautiful cars and hair and makeup and a thousand pounds worth of clothes for that day. And the next day you're sleeping in an airport floor. Um, so so it, is, it is relentless. But when you have brilliant people around you, I'm so lucky. Yeah, I adore my band. They are just, we spend so much time together and we are such great friends and we love each other so much. That it, it would be like going away with your best friends, yeah. you know, and we don't touch wood, we don't row. Oh, um, but it is, it it's it's mad. I'd never, I mean, 60 hour weeks teaching, singing, those times felt like a break. That wow. would have felt like a break in comparison. Crikey, girl. Well, good for you. I mean, it's amazing. I've just, um, oh, it God. is brilliant, but it, it has, it's been five years of, really a lot of compromise but I wouldn't change it for anything it is the best job in the world it's it's such an amazing adventure and I'm so so grateful for you sharing it with us because it's just you you know for just anyone to get a bit of an insight into the reality of (laughs) what it's like to be a touring artist the graph that that takes the you know and like you say the people around you are so important you know, you don't want to choose to do this with somebody that you're not best mates with, right? I mean, that would just make it a whole lot harder. So, um, yeah, I'm very, you know, I think it's a, a fantastic thing. So the new album, when is it coming out? When can I get a copy? The new album's good. I mean, it's hard to say that, but it's good. We oh. have spent so long working on this. We went out to Woodstock, worked with... Uh, Simon Felice, who did the Lumineers last album, last couple albums. It's just amazing. Um, so it was due to come out in August, but 
there's no point in putting an album out if you can't tour it for an yeah. artist for a band like ours so the album is out in february um you can pre-order it now if anyone wants to know how to support bands please pre-order our album it's on amazing shiny colored vinyl oh wow um, it's it's gorgeous we've got beautiful kind of merch and stuff but there'll be um there'll be some big gigs there's the big main tour will be the end of next year um at there's some really, really great venues that we are so excited that we will be headlining. Um, so so cool. I suppose my last question is, is what, what is vocal freedom to you? Vocal freedom to me is freedom to sound like myself and to have choices. So my voice being able to to vary, to play. I, for me, vocal freedom is about play. It's mm. about, you know, getting rid of that little inner critic and finding the inner child and playing. Oh, that's- I love that. No, that's a lovely answer. Thank you. Uh, yay. That's so cool. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on. I hope some of that was, was helpful. Thank you so much. And have a lovely rest of day. And I'll uh, catch up with you soon. Thank you, Tara. Bye, darling. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.